everybody. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Thanks so much for clicking on this episode today. We are continuing down our series about disciple making movements, where our friend Ken Shackelford is interviewing various people from around the globe about those types of movements. So today, Ken is going to be interviewing Justin Long. No, not the actor. This is a totally different Justin Long, and Ken does a great job of introducing Justin and all of his resources, so we're actually just going to dive into the episode today. But real quick, before we jump in, this clip is from The Collective, which you can sign up for for free and start utilizing this website for yourself to find out more about making disciples and how to become a better disciple maker. All right, let's dive in. This is Ken Shackelford and Justin Long. So I welcome all of you to this uh, second in a series of webinars where we are focusing on uh, what can the North American church, what can we here in this culture and this evangelical culture learn from uh, the disciple-making movements that are happening all around the world. And uh, I hope you had a chance to um, see the first in the series, which was Uh, Bobby Harrington and myself talking through some of this, specifically talking through seven different areas of barriers in our culture to disciple-making movements. And um, in this next one, what what I really want to focus on, and we have the perfect person to do this with, is... um, what exactly is a disciple-making movement? Where are they? What's happening in these movements? How prevalent are they? And so um, I'm really excited that we're going to have Justin Long join us here in just a little bit. This was pre-recorded, but there will be people uh, monitoring this during the live broadcast. So if you do have questions, there will be some time at the end uh, for, for those or you may get some answers in the chat as well. But uh, enjoy this time with Justin Long. And I want you to look for one one set of numbers, one stat that blew me away. And I typically know a lot about these numbers, but this one really rocked my world. I want you to look for um, the, the number one in 100, okay? Listen for that. All right, everyone. I'm so excited today to have uh, Justin Long here with us. Um, I have known about Justin uh, a lot longer than we've known each other because of the great resources he's put out that's blessed me and the ministries and missions I've been a part of. And so very excited to have Justin. Justin is uh, one of the premier global missions researchers, and uh, he presently serves with Beyond, which seeks to send teams to start movements that cascade through whole people groups. And as a researcher, he maintains all sorts of, of, of different, uh, very important resources, global district survey, movement index, move, um, movement case study archive, um, and more, which we'll, we'll get into 
One of my favorite resources he puts out is a weekly email called the Weekly Roundup. And um, it's kind of a weekly world news and missions trends analysis. Um, and I'm going to share more about that as well. He has a website, justinlong.org. Anyway, Justin, welcome to, uh, to this webinar series. Appreciate having you. Thanks. Glad to be here. So um, let's start off. Just you've kind of come to be a, a keeper of numbers for these disciple making movements that this series is kind of focusing on. Um, let's start off. How how on earth did that happen? <laughs> Share your story of how God led you to what you're doing now, and and what exactly are you doing now? Yeah, well, um, I suppose the the reason that I kind of come to this place is that number one, I I just like numbers and spreadsheets, and that's the type of person that God's formed me to be. I've I've always been doing that. I started my missions career in oh the late 1980s, going on 1990. Um, originally started with a, a small missions network, uh, and I I began forming a database of who was working where. It was an association of mission agencies, so I developed this database of who was working where. And and um, so that when people wrote in and said, I want to be a missionary to X place, we could send them a, a list of all the agencies that were working in that place. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was one of the early uh, work among databases. That's what we call them. And um, then after that, I went to work with the World Christian Encyclopedia, which led me to more databases and more numbers. And and uh, learned a lot about uh, the unreached and, and the unevangelized and, and the efforts to reach them. Uh, and then after that, uh, worked with several other agencies until uh, basically around 2004 to 2008, we were just starting to really document what we were coming to call movements, uh, rapidly multiplying movements. Uh, and after I returned, after my, me and my family returned from uh, Southeast Asia uh, in 2000, late 2008, uh, we transitioned into beyond, and I've just started over the last uh, five to eight years documenting uh, those movements in earnest. A lot of it comes down to the fact that um, I, I I like documenting and researching things, and I also like interacting with. I'm a maximum introvert, but I still like one-on-one -on -one relationships with people. So it's, it's a lot of coffee and a lot of conversations and a lot of you know one-on-one -on -one meetings and just just. You see, you, you, yeah, you, see, you see a lot of people and faces behind those numbers, which I'm sure gets you excited, huh? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. It's it's a it's a great thing to be in the middle of of seeing what God is doing uh, right now. So, with the work you're doing in research, um, and I'm probably jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit, but um, how how has this past year of COVID affected your work, your ministry? The, the main thing has been that it, it, obviously it's been more difficult to travel. A lot of the information that I collect is collected face-to-face uh, -face in environments where we're, where we're certain of our security. Um, but even still, uh, we've been able to, to maintain some communications. We use a variety of secure uh, communication tools and uh, we've still been able to, to do I'd say 60 to 70 percent of the normal data collection that we would that we would normally do. Um, the normal conversations I would have, we've been able to yeah. do over that. And we've seen, for the most part, 
Um, and this is probably jumping the gun a little bit, but uh, for the most part, it's been a good year. I mean, you wouldn't think that, but, and there's been a lot of tragedy and there's been a lot of, a, a lot of difficulty and, and without minimizing that, right. which is, you know, our, my boss, um, the, the president of our organization, Kent Parks often mentions the fact that it is in the context of Matthew 24 mm-hmm. that we will see progress and closure. Right. Um, and so whenever you see, which, which uh, I'm not uh, 24 is chock full of hardship. Right. Wars, rumors of wars, all these kinds of things. I'm not saying that we're in the end times, so please don't misunderstand me. But what I do think is that it is in the context of those kinds of situations um, that you do still see growth of a different kind than you do in non-Matthew 20. You know, growth can happen both ways, but it's not like we only grow in the good times and in the bad times we hunker down and try to endure. Right. Right. It's, it, it's typically even the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and when you say in that context of, of those end times, it's in that context that led Christ to get to Matthew 24, 14, which is saying the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So, um, so He's thinking of those things that are going to be happening, and that leads him to that point, uh, that great promise that we have. So, yeah, that's great. So um, one more that uh, kind of an introductory thing is uh, uh, why? <laughs> why do you do this research? What, what is this research for? Is it publicity? Is it fundraising? Or is it something more important than that? No, my primary audience is the movements themselves. Um, yeah. We, I, yeah, we don't. We, we, I do very little publicity for this kind of thing. I, you know, one of the, one of the terms of service, if you will, with the with the people that I work with, is that I don't mention any specific countries or people groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we roll all data up to the regional and global level to be able to tell the global story, um, but we don't we we don't want to endanger anything that's happening on the ground. My primary. Um, the group that I serve are these movements on the ground. And the primary task that we are focused on is identifying the gaps. In other words, we want to help people identify and share where they are presently working. Actually, we don't really share where they're presently working. We want to identify where people are presently working so that we can share where nobody is working. That's the key that these movements are really keen on. They want to know where the gaps are. They want to know where are the places where nobody is presently going. And then they'll send workers there. Uh, they'll, they'll boldly send workers to some of the most difficult places in the world because they are all about seeing this task completed. So that's, that is the primary goal of my research, is to identify gaps. All right. So, um, so you're tracking what we're calling disciple-making movements. I'm, I'm, I've just glanced over here, and I've got uh, Missions Frontier uh, magazine, yep. which has a number right there at the bottom, it says yep, at 1371 known kingdom movements. I I would guess that you probably have something to do with that number itself, uh, but that number comes directly from my database. Yes. Okay, that's that's what I was saying. So, um, so I want to in a moment dive down and describe what a disciple making movement is and how various groups describe or measure it how you describe or measure it. Um, but first, 
give us an idea of um, um, where this whole concept of movements when 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 were we when did we start describing things and measuring movements sure well you know movements are not generally a new concept we might call them you know we, we called them for a while church planting movements and then we started referring to them as disciple making movements because it was that's really what it was about but um, I, I sometimes refer to them as uh, rapidly multiplying movements to Christ. I mean, there's a number of different names that we could put on these. Uh, these movements have been occurring throughout history. Uh, I, I would say never in the numbers that we're seeing right now, but there have been movements throughout history. Um, and if you go back and you look at various, um, in some ways, the, the, uh, the Irish, the, the evangelization of Ireland was, was a, a similar kind of movement. Uh, some of the early uh, American denominations exhibited a lot of these movement principles. So the movements themselves go back a long, long time. Uh, the current sort of rendition of movements that we are seeing around the world right now really started kicking off in the mid-1990s is about the earliest that I've, I've tracked the current movements that are presently happening. Um, so some of them, obviously, are close to 20, 30 years old at this point, um, growing, still continuing to grow. Um, most of the effort, most of the things that have happened in movements have happened in the last five to 10 years. Most of the growth has. Because now we're starting to see that uh, some of the movements are starting new movements. They're sending out workers to start new movements. So now not only are you getting uh, people disciples who make disciples and churches who make churches, we're starting to see movements that start movements, uh, which again will lead us to that exponential growth pattern. All right. So let's, let, let's get down to the movements themselves. How, how do you define what a movement is? So there's generally a three part uh, definition, if you will. The first is that it needs to be at roughly four generations. So what we mean by that is um, it, it's not from person A to person B to person C to person D. Technically, that is four generations, uh, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, mul uh, multiple generations and multiple streams. So think of a, of a family. If you've ever thought of one of those, you know, the, the here's the grandparents, mm -hmm. right? And then the grandparents have three, three children, and then they all marry, and each of the children have you know, three or four children and then they get married and, and pretty soon you've got this enormous family reunion for which you have to rent like this huge building to fit everybody in. It just came from two people. Yeah. Right? That demonstrates the enormous power of multiplication, right? I, I remember when my wife and I first got married, uh, one of the guys uh, who was a friend of mine at the time said, now you have to multiply. That's the scripture, Right. And one is not multiplication, and two is replacement value. So you have to have more than two. Really, you need four at least because that's two for each. You know, that's that's multiplying each of you. And we're like, okay, all right. But if you have that kind of thing, you can see how it grows, and that's what we're talking about. Um, multiple generations. We've generally said um, in the studies that we've done, uh, imperfect as they are, it appears that if you reach that four generation line. Uh, it will continue. It, it will not stop. It, it's got a life of its own, so to speak. But you also have to have multiple streams. And is that that part of defining a movement is that it is a life 
of its own. It's not dependent on one charismatic yeah. leader. And that's, that is another reason why we normally say four generations, right? Because a charismatic person could found a church and, mm-hmm. and grow it quite large, right? We've seen that happen. Right. And really, uh, you can get a charismatic person at the top and the church can start a whole bunch of cell groups. And that's second generation growth. And you can do that on the force of you know, efficient business processes and charisma and, and right. all that kind of stuff. When you get to four generations, typically that fourth generation, they may or may not know who the person at the top is. Gotcha. You know, and the further generations down you go. It's kind of like less, we, we vaguely know about our, our great grandparents. But right. when we get into great greats, we're like, I think I can remember their name, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to, I was really into genealogy for a long time when I was a kid. And you know, you had these little little pictures, the little gray, black and white pictures, and you're like, wow, they wore some really weird clothes. Uh, it's it's that kind of thing. You know, generally speaking, there was somebody who started this, but so so four generations means you are beyond the charisma dynamics of the of the the powerful leader. You have to have a gene. There's something else at work there. Right. Right. You have to have a spiritual DNA that leads to replication. Right. Uh, so it's four generations, multiple streams. Uh, the, uh, the second uh, definition is that you're adding another generation. Uh, typically, the line is usually about 18 months to two years. Uh, in my experience, what I've seen is that a lot of these movements, uh, not everybody's adding, uh, not every church is planning another church, not every discipler is making another disciple, but maybe you know, somewhere between a quarter, a third, a half of the overall movement are doing that in any given year. Okay. So uh, about every 18 months to two years on average, you're going to see a generational line be added to that movement, right? So basically the, the, the believers grow up, if you will, and have spiritual children, right? So, if, if they're, so it's continuing to grow. You want to see that continued growth, right? Uh, the third thing is there is a size measure that some people use. Um, and I, I don't use it, but it kind of happens by default. And the size measure is 100 churches, 1,000 believers. So uh, if you, and, and if you've reached four generations, um, if you're not close to 100 churches and a, four generations of churches, right? Not four generations of believers, four generations of churches, four generations of groups. Uh, if you've reached that point, if you're not in a hundred churches and a thousand believers, you're not far off. One more, one more multiplication will probably do it. And and just to be clear for everyone, um, obviously a hundred churches and a thousand people, we're looking at average of ten people per church. Which you know, a lot a lot of people listening might think of that as just a small group, but it is indeed where two or three two or more are gathered together in his name and they, they are being church together and they're making disciples and um, they are planting these churches. And so it's not obviously bricks and mortar, brick and mortar congregations. It would be hard every eight, uh, 18 months to uh, start a whole new generation of brick and mortar congregations. But these are, again, going back to what you originally said rapidly multiplying um groups of disciples making disciples so and that that is a paradigm shift that a lot of westerners kind of have to make that's one of the paradigm shifts um actually to me it's 
not as big a jump if you think about it, because when we think of China, we think of house churches. Right. We think of the Middle East. We think of underground house churches. When we thought of the old, you know, Soviet Union before the wall fell, we thought of underground house churches. That's right. basically what we're talking about. So in a lot of these places, because of the environment that they're in, um, house churches are very naturally, that's, that's what you have to have. Yeah. There, there is no other option. You cannot get a building registration. You will not have the money to buy it. You're talking about a house church. But it does lend itself to, as you said, it lends itself to very rapid multiplication. You don't have to build a building. You don't have to worry about a budget. What you're talking about is a community of believers who gather together, uh, much more so than buildings or budgets or anything else. I have a friend who lives here locally who grew up in Africa and then was a missionary there for several decades. Um, doing more traditional missions, but then um, almost in his retirement, he went to a country where the government would not allow him to do a traditional car and he congregational um, style uh, outreach. And he, uh, he started putting things in place and a movement happened. And he, he, you know, he looks back in that and says, after all these decades, God basically forced me to, to do something that works so much uh, in, in, in a much larger way than anything I would have imagined. And, uh, yeah, so, and, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, so you mentioned, you mentioned numbers. As far as um, four generations, multiple streams, is there any kind of dynamic of how many streams? You were no. talking about okay. No, I mean we we often talk about you know if it's going to be multiple streams, it's probably going to be more than two. Right. Uh, but but different uh, different movements will take on vastly different qualities. Uh, we've seen some movements that that have uh, down generational lines of you know fifteen twenty, so they're like you know tall palm trees going right. straight down with the, with the, some branches going off, but. Most of it is just, you know, one or two streams going. And then we've seen others that are these, these huge, you know. Yeah. So it just depends upon the, it vastly depends upon the circumstances. And, and um, obviously, you're looking at kind of a, a minimal number of around a 1,000 mm. people, but some of these movements are vastly larger. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, probably the largest movement I presently have documented is is somewhere between 10 and 15 million in size. Wow. And yeah. how far out does that go? Does that, when it, when you're looking at a movement, 10 to 15 million, is it going into multiple countries, multiple people groups, that kind of thing? That particular movement is largely focused in a extremely populous uh, region of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, um, the, the movement itself uh, encompasses several of what would be the equivalent of our. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. 
My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials, it's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. They are the, the populational equivalent of one of our states. So yeah. each, of the, each of the things they are in. Uh, so it actually, it actually does expand a little bit into neighboring areas, both in other countries and in, in, other, in other locations. But most of it's located basically in this one huge uh, population zone. Gotcha. Where 10 to 15 million is actually a not significant percentage of the local population. Right. It's, it's, it's still, there's still a lot to do. And right. I know, so, yeah. so when you, when I'm thinking about 1,371 known kingdom movements, obviously God is at work in lots of surprising places, right? So the more research you do, probably the more you discover Yes. Um, some some movements coming in unexpected places, um, but when we're talking about uh, that many movements, what kind of total numbers are you estimating of believers, disciple makers that are part mm. part of these movements? Our current and you did bring up a point, which let me let me just underscore real quick. What what we do is what what I call floor, not ceiling. Uh, when I was first beginning to document this, you know, every three months or so, we were discovering, we were like doubling the number of movements that we were aware of. Uh, we, the, the growth in the number that we're discovering has slacked off. I think we've discovered mm, 70 to 80% of probably what's out there at this point. Um, but I still, I, I know it is, it's floor, not ceiling. Like in this last weekend, I had a conversation. I, I just discovered a, a team that's in place. Uh, in a location that I wasn't aware of, um, and, and they they have a, a bunch of information to to send in. So we're always discovering some new things. So floor not ceiling. Uh, overall, uh, right now it's uh, 79 million believers in four and a half or so million churches. So and that number is really remarkable because that means basically in our world today. Uh, 1% of our world's population, one out of 100 people, um, are uh, earnest believers in Christ, followers of Christ, who are in a rapidly multiplying disciple-making movement. 1% of our world is in this type of... Not 1% of believers, but 1% of our world as part of it. 1% of our world. Wow. 1% of our world. That's pretty exciting. We were born into this thing. This is how they were spiritually discipled. This is all they've known is basically read the word, obey the word, share the word. That, that, that is their, that's the core of their spiritual discipleship. Um, you know, expect to be persecuted, uh, stand boldly for your faith, pray for God to move, uh, pray for miracles. Um, 
Yeah. This is this is their reality. Wow. Um, That's great. So um with with all of these various movements, um, how many different um we've already used the streams for something else, I guess networks or families uh, uh, of groups are, are kind of sparking these movements as far as you've been able to discern. Yeah. Yeah. I I normally, these movements aren't denominationally based typically, right? They're typically very organic and how, and how they're um, overseen and that type of thing. So, um, yeah. But I'm sure they've got different uh, starting places. So, yeah, I normally call them families. Okay. Uh, that, that is what I refer. So some other people call them movement networks because we've also called uh, people groups families, and so it can get a little muddled. But in my in my mind, I call them families. Uh, there's 35 of them. 35 uh, okay. that, I, that I know around the world. Uh, plus, I call it the the uh, other. The, the other movements category that maybe isn't in a, in a, it's not fully formed yet. Right. Um, but yeah, there's, there's about 30 and some of those, um, some of those range over multiple countries. Um, some of them are concentrated in particular areas. You know, they, they, you get the families that specialize in one particular language cluster, if you will, or one, right. one particular region of the world. And then you get the families that are in lots of different countries within one continent. And then you may have some families that are like uh, over multiple countries, multiple continents. So it, it just, but there's about 35 of them. Now, in my experience, I've been blessed to um, experience some of these movements in very different areas of the world um, in Europe with refugees and in Africa and slums of Kampala um, in, in Asia. Um, for me anyway, I've seen remarkable similarities, even though they're coming from very different backgrounds. Is that, is that your experience? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, movements tend to have some universal principles. I guess I can use Garrison's, you know, the the term for it. Um, which I think he's quite correct. There, there are some, some universal things that you will see everywhere. Like, like you will always see that. The let, me, let me just stop. Let me just stop there. You're, you're referencing Garrison's um, church planting movements, yeah. book, right? And, and how they started doing research and started finding similarities, even though they were coming from different backgrounds. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. So, for example. Prayer is obviously a, a key universal element of all the movements. How people do prayer vastly varies from place to place. That they pray and that they pray more than I pray, <laughs> that is a universal given. Um, so um, lay leadership, um, house churches, uh, abundant sowing of the gospel, uh, all these all these things, there, there are some there are some things that make all the movements look very similar to each other. And yet, if you get into any given movement, you're going to see there's definite cultural and linguistic and, and tactical differences on the sure. ground. Uh, Rather like I am very different from my Oklahoma relative. Right. right. <laughs> and, uh, and God's working through all of us in very unique ways, and especially with the various uh, peoples that are out there. Um, 
when you're talking about rapid, rapidly multiplying though, I, uh, you mentioned lay leaders. There's, there is really this idea that everyone uh, can be equipped to be a disciple maker. And that idea happens early on in their life as a believer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when you think about it, even in the West, I, I sometimes wonder why we sometimes have difficulty with this, right? Because we expect people in the church to have, uh, to some degree, disciple their children. Yeah. Right? right. We, we expect, you know, moms and dads to have, a, you know, you pray with your kids. You, you have a hand in their discipleship. Okay. So we can disciple people. We disciple our children. There's no reason why we can't disciple other people. Hopefully there's that expectation. I remember I I was a youth minister for 12 years and I used to have a cartoon on my door and it had, um, it showed these police carrying uh, or, or escorting this criminal to jail. And behind the police line, there was this woman and she cried out, my son, my son, where did your youth minister go wrong? (laughs) And uh, hopefully there's that expectation that the primary responsibility for discipling the kids are the children. But yeah, uh, you know, obviously um, it, it, this is really what this whole series that we're doing is about is how can we glean from these movements, learn from these movements. Mm -hmm. You know, the U.S. oftentimes has been a thought leader for the world in various ways, as well as historically in in missions. But now um, the tables are turned and Mm -hmm. and we're needing right to learn from what we're what we're seeing out there. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center an auditorium for our main events and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. COVID obviously has uh, shaken the American church to the core in many different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, How has COVID around the world affected these movements? You touched on that before, but go a little deeper in that. Well, a lot of them, um, you know, sometimes we're, we're asked, how do you know that these churches are churches, right? right? And one of the ways to do that is to go back to Scripture and say, well, you know, the poor are being fed, the sick are being cared for, uh, disciples are being made. Um, th- this, is, this is from Acts. These are some of the ways that we know, you know, it's a church, 
right. right? It's, it's not so much about can they maintain a building and can they maintain a budget? It's how are you, how are you discipling the people in the community? How are you seeing new people come to faith? And how are you caring for the community around you? And that's one of the things we've seen with, with COVID in, in definitely less fortunate areas. We've seen uh, many of these movement networks, uh, they have reached out to the people around them in their neighborhoods, in their communities. They have um, provided food. They have provided, you know, they've prayed for people who are sick. They've, they've cared for people. And in that uh, reach out, they have seen significant growth as, as a result of that. Uh, often, sometimes at their own risk uh, and, and to their own possible detriment. Uh, obviously, we've had people who've caught COVID and yeah. who have died. But, because they, of but they've been fearless in their yeah. willingness to follow and be obedient to, to help it. I mean, it, it reminds me, and I'm not going to try to get into specifics because I'm terrible with history, but stories I know I've read of of great pandemics in the past where Christianity grew because as everyone else was leaving Rome or leaving other, other cities, Christians were going in to, to help care for those suffering. Right. So, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's exciting. So when um, I'm sure you go around and you share about these movements and probably have a chance to share with people who've never, never, ever heard about what God's doing around the world. Um, what, how do, how do a typical church leader or ministry leader or just church member here in the U.S., how do they react to new, these kinds of numbers? The idea that one, to me, the idea that one out of every hundred people in, in the world is part of a kingdom movement uh, kind of blows my mind. How, what kind of reactions do you get from people? Oh, it varies. Um, you know, there, there's a range of reactions. One of the early reactions is, you know, well, how do you know the numbers are real? Uh, and so I, I have an article about how movements count, which isn't really that different from how American denominations count, for example. Uh, so we talk about that. Um, another, another way, an, another thing to talk about is, uh, well, well, how do you know the quality of these churches? I mean, you know, are they, are they really believing things and good things and so forth? And well, you can, we can talk about doctrine and things, but uh, I mean, the average person in these movements is going to read something in scripture, you know, love your neighbor or feed the poor or whatever. And they're, they're actually going to go out and do it, which maybe isn't always the case for most Western churches. Um, I think sometimes people uh, try to conflate and they'll say, yeah, well, we've got, you know, we've done pretty well in growing too. We, you know, we planted this church or that church. And, but when you dig into it, you realize how long it took to plant that church because of the methods that we use in, in the United States. They're, they're slower uh, methods geared around the, the structures and the, the buildings and everything everything that we, because we have certain cultural expectations in the United States, which don't lend themselves to rapid multiplication, you know? Um, so there's a wide variety, but I, I, you know, most of the time, what really encourages me is that there are people who say, essentially they say, man, I wish that could happen here. Yeah. I really wish that could happen here. And those people often end up in one of the online trainings for how movement principles work. And, Which and they're, 
there is a plethora of great yeah. training out there, right? Yeah. And so we're, we're seeing, uh, it's, it's a trickle. I'm not going to say it's the huge army. It's more like, you know, a Gideon's force that gets purged out as they go through the, uh, but we are seeing a, a trickle of people who are, and, and I think that that is, um, that is what you would see because I believe that God calls uh, people for every part of the world. And that means, sure. you know, that means Africa. You know, that, that's, that's Angola and that's America, to put it in that context. Uh, God calls people to both. And I, I just believe that there's people, you know, for America as well. Right. And I know that that's really what discipleship.org is trying to be about. How can we um, help churches develop disciple-making culture where it's empowering everyone, like we're talking about these movements, empowering everyone to, to go out and make disciples and, and, and even bring that expectation. Like you were saying, that's all they've known. Right. And these movements, right. That, um, that they start out as a baby Christian and it's, they see it modeled and they follow it and they're going out and they're, 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 uh, sharing what they're learning. Even if they just know a little bit, they're being taught to share that little bit, uh, from the very beginning. And, and, and you get that growth, that real growth, not transfer swelling, but, but right. real growth of new right. believers and all. And so you, you mentioned a trickle. Are we seeing uh, any, are you seeing any movements, anything that would be defined as a movement happening here in the U.S.? Most of the things that we see in, on the American continent or in the European continent and uh, these uh, because of our, our terms of, of uh, security with people, I don't name specific countries or people groups, but uh, what we're seeing on those two continents are fairly smallish things that are still on the thousand side okay. of, of things right. uh, and largely amongst not the majority population. They're amongst uh, diaspora and expatriates. There are a few groups, uh, like I could count them on two hands with fingers left over, right. uh, that, are, that are laboring amongst majority uh people within the within their country so you know like it would be amongst americans in america or amongst canadians in canada or, or whatever english in england um there are a few of those and, and they are starting to see some fruit but nothing like what we're seeing in other places it's 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 challenged to adapt into this environment if someone wanted uh to to read more about what a movement looks like um, or what movements are happening. Um, what are some resources that are, are favorites of yours to, to throw out there for people to read or, or online to look at? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I normally tell people to start with something like miraculous movements mm -hmm. um, on my, not, not to toot my own horn, but on my website uh, on justinlong.org, uh, there's a drop down. It's got recommended books on there. And there's a selection of books for, re related to movements. I normally tell people to, to, to start with miraculous movements. That's a, a really easy read. Uh, and it's a, it's a really, um, I mean, it's not like it's, it's not movements for dummies. Right, right. But, but it's a, it's a, it's a it's quick, not mine, easy, it's, it's, it's not a ton of academic theory. It is right, right. real stories, real things that have happened. It's, you know, it's very inspiring. And um, 
yeah, they could start with those. There's there's some more books that get into more into into the theory of things. Uh, if you want to really kind of chow down on things, there's a a book that. Uh, uh, Oh, what is it called? It's on my website. It is uh, basically about uh, uh, movements in the West and okay. the life of me. I can't remember. That's, that's right. <laughs> All right. So um, when, uh, when you think of believers here, even church leaders, ministry leaders, trying to learn from what they're hearing about with disciple-making movements and some of those core principles, what do you feel like are are some of the top ones to to start with? Mm-hmm. I think to me the important thing, especially when you're trying to do something in a new environment, is that you take the universals. The I would get Garrison's book, uh, Church Planning Movements, and I would look at the universals and I would say, let's strip everything we're doing down to the bare metal, if you will. And look at these 10 universals and say, how do we implement this in the most minimalist way possible? Without a lot of baggage, without anything that we've done before, without a lot of structures, how do we do these things in the most minimal way possible? Um, I think a lot of times we hear something like, you know, um, Bible studies or something like abundant gospel sowing, and we start layering on top our favorite Bible study, our, our favorite 15-week Bible study from this Bible teacher that we've gone through, or our favorite gospel sharing tool, right? And the thing about movements, that one of the keys to movements is the simplicity of things. Simplicity, right. Right? So I've had people that have come to Beyond and said, you know, we would, we would love for you to, to take a look at this Bible study curriculum that we've developed and maybe you might find it useful. You know, it's one of these appeals, right? You might like this enough that your field leaders, and I say, hey, look, buddy, um, we don't use Bible study curriculums in the field. What? How do you, how do you teach them? We just use the Bible. That's all the, that's, you know, if you're going to do a discovery Bible study with a bunch of people, you're going to use the Bible. Right. That's what you're going to use. It's hard enough to get copies of the Bible let alone copies of all this other stuff. And the reason that we don't use all this other stuff is a, it adds to the Bible, but also B it's costly and difficult to, but in the West, we've got so much stuff. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We have so much stuff. And so, I, let me, let me stuff off. right. So one thing you threw out there and for those, I think most of the people listening, when you, when you hear uh, Justin say discovery Bible study, you probably yeah. have a fairly accurate idea of what that is. We're not going to dive into that now because I know that one of the guys I'm going to be interviewing is Roy Moran, and that's really what he wants to focus in on. Um, and But um, there is a, a lot certainly to learn, but the important part of that is it's it's really – Bible focused. And that's one thing I've loved in all the different families of movements I've experienced is how very biblical, uh, biblically focused it is and how much it feels like the book of Acts happening all around me. And, and so that's, you mentioned kind of stripping down to the, to the bare essentials and that for me, uh, it took it. 
I was a little bit stubborn. You know, I, I had plant, I successfully planted a church or been a part of a church plant here in the U.S. that God richly blessed, and we grew, and it wasn't just transfer growth. There, were, there was a lot of transformation happening with, with people and people coming to the Lord, and it was exciting, and, and that felt so natural to me and how I'd been trained and what I'd been looking for. So um, for God to open my heart to movements as he also opened my heart to the nations, um, he had to do a lot of stripping away, and it was a process for me to kind of have to hand off things that I really liked uh, doing. And it's not that you have to wholesale give up all of that in your church, but as far as the m- making disciples, it's so very powerful when you just get down to the bare essentials. And um, okay. so that's uh, that can be a very challenging process because I had wrapped my identity around a lot of that baggage uh, that, you know, that, that exists and the programs and, and the real top-down uh, oriented knowledge-based teachings and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's really, uh, really powerful. Um, you had mentioned seeing some uh, movements in the U.S., uh, what are you, what are you getting from, um, from church leaders? Um, obviously probably a lot of them are plugging in with your organization as they're sending people to the field. Do you find sometimes churches are like, Hey, I'm great getting behind disciple making movements on the field. That's for over there. We're going to do our own thing. You see some churches trying to align more with, what they're seeing working on the field. What what are you seeing with church leaders and churches? Churches that want to do DMM here and send workers to do DMM there are very very rare. That that is a that's a rare breed of church. Uh, I know of maybe, uh, like I said before, enough to count on two hands with with one with, with fingers left. It might even be one hand with fingers left over, uh, to my personal knowledge. Um, Churches that are that endorse DMM over there and are willing to send workers significantly more. I mean, they're they're, they're not common, common, but right. you'll find a lot more of those kinds. Right. Um, churches that want to send workers and you know just generally like beyond and groups like us mm-hmm. more common. Um, churches where the individual worker has a call to the field and the individual worker wants to do DMM and the church says, yeah, we like you. You're a person of good character. Great. Go and be blessed. Uh, that's very common. And then of course the ones that have no interest whatsoever. Um, and you even have some that are actively opposed uh, to, to it, unfortunately. Right. Um, so I, I would say that the, the churches that are pro DMM are not common. And the ones that are trying to do it here and send are, are really rare. One of the uh, priorities of this session with you is I really wanted everyone to understand more when we talk about disciple making movements, what, you know, what are we talking about? What does it look like? And obviously for a lot of those who are, are listening to this that are church leaders, um, they're wondering, does this relate to me trying to develop a disciple-making culture 
within my church or do I have to get the dynamite and blow everything up, you know, and start from scratch. And I know there's some who've been convicted about disciple making movements like um, uh, Francis Chan, who, you know, hands off the church and kind of starts from scratch. There's some that try to reorient maybe their churches. Um, And, and so um, I guess what, what do you think um, would be good for these church leaders to know when they're thinking, what, what does it mean to develop a disciple-making culture? What, what should they know that we haven't already covered about disciple-making movements? Sure. I think it comes down to something that is a little bit of a tongue twister. And yet I, I, think, it's, I think it really made me frame this this way. What is a disciple-making culture? Is this a culture in a church that makes disciples? Or are we making disciple makers? Or are we making disciple maker makers? Okay, I know it's a bit of a tongue twister, but here's the thing that, that, I'm, that I'm going with this. Most churches can develop programs which will make disciples. If by that we mean, you know, authentic Christians, they have confessed, they have believed, they are basically obeying, they are, you know, I know we're all fallen and I know we all have those things, but, you know, nine times out of ten, they don't murder, they don't, you know, embezzle, they don't, okay, right? We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't run with those who do. Okay, so, I mean, bare minimum discipleship. We, we can do that programmatically, right? right. Um, we can do that through doctrine, impart, imparting doctrine. We can do it through accountability groups. We can do it through all the different ministry programs that a church normally runs, right? Okay. Can we make disciple makers? In other words, can we take somebody who sits in the pew and make them into somebody who makes disciples? Mm-hmm. Now you have an engine that's scalable for growth at that point. Now it, and, and that's a paradigm shift Yeah. because now it's not the church making disciples. It is the church making and empowering people, ordinary people in the pew or in the chair or whatever who make disciples. Right. And it is entrusting spiritual formation and development and all those kinds of things, accountability and everything to uh, people who are messy and, you know, we're just a couple of steps beyond them. And, um, right. That, that's a, it's a risky proposition, but it's the one that scales. Right. Now, if on the other hand, you make disciple maker makers. Now, again, you've, you've increased your potential, right? So it's one thing to plant seeds that grow up into trees. Right. It's another thing to cultivate the trees, which will, plant seeds that will grow up into trees. Mm -hmm. And it's another thing to cultivate forest keepers, right? People like the proverbial Johnny Appleseed who goes around planting forests. Right. Okay. Every church can plant seeds. Every church, it's another step to take responsibility for those trees and grow them. Right. And then, you know, the biggest step of all is that, is that forestry expert person. Right. And every stage that you mentioned is another level of 
empowering and releasing. Um, and, and, and it's another level of risk. Yes. And so I, um, what it boils down to, and I, and whenever I'm talking about movements, it almost always comes back to this is how much do we trust the Holy spirit and how much do we trust the word of God? Cause obviously we're going to make disciples by teaching them to get into the word of God and, and to walk by the guidance of the spirit. And so how much do we trust that? Yes, it's going to be messy. That's why half of the new Testament was written because it was messy. Yes, and, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, um, and, and the other thing about that too, uh, which you'll get into it as, as you progress through this season is that this is not without cost. And what I have generally found is that in order to implement DMM, um, every person needs to be in a coaching or mentoring relationship with somebody else, which is a life-on-life relationship. Yeah. The time commitment for that means that for most churches, most churches are used to doing industrial style. Uh, I'm going to run a program. That program is going to affect 100 people or 500 people or whatever i'm going to get 500 people in the room and we're going to run them through dave ramsey's financial peace university course and then they'll have all this information about managing their finances which will help them and you can do that but what i find is that it's difficult for you to have a one-on-one coaching relationship with a handful of people who in turn have those one-on-one handful of coaching relationships and run these programs you cannot do both absolutely yeah. And so you're going to have to choose. Tough and choice. That, that is, again, where a risk is going to come in. Right. Um, and a cost. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much. I want to just close by, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to share my screen. And what I'm going to show is your website, specifically the, uh, the roundup here. Why do you do this and and what's it all about? Can you share a little bit about this? Sure. Uh, Basically, the reason I do this is to help people get access to, uh, it's really to build awareness of what's going on amongst the unreached. This is the world that unreached peoples inhabit. And it's a very different world from the world of of Western Christians. Um, And so for people to understand, these are the kinds of issues that this side of the church deals with on a regular basis. These are the kinds of things that, that cross-cultural missionaries are going to have to deal with on a regular, on a regular basis. Uh, it helps to build awareness. It helps to build prayer. Um, it also helps to build people who want to go do something about these kinds of situations. Uh, a lot of these articles are included because they are, they relate to long-term access trends. It's, you know, the, the, the difficulties between, for example, between China and the United States, um, I, I'm not really trying to take a political stance so much as to say these things are going to make it more and more difficult for Westerners to be able to get into some of these places. You, you need near culture workers who are going to be able to access these places. And you need to understand there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a cost to all of this. And it's, so, it's so important because in America, we are, and every place is, is, centered more around where they are you know i know the importance of news is local 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 right the more you can uh, uh, get 
talk to people about what they're concerned with, but I think it's it's important for us to to have a greater sense of of what's going on around the world, just for prayer, if nothing else. Um, uh, yeah. As we as we pray for what God is doing and what people around the world are are facing, uh, I I'm a bit of a tech nerd, so I usually start yours from the bottom up. I like going to yes. I like going to your technology futurism section and just see what the the trends are, what people are saying, and you'll notice that almost every bullet point here will have links. Uh, so. It's pretty amazing all the things that you uh, give us on a weekly basis. But with your website, there's a, a lot more than, than just that. Uh, you can um, check out his observations. Uh, he mentioned a lot of the resources that uh, are great. Um, there's prayer guides there. So anyway, I just wanted to, to close out by, by uh, sharing that resource and um and just say yeah i really appreciate you justin and and um the service you're offering to the kingdom i think it's exciting i'm one of those people that when i hear i at first that you know it was hard for me to believe but the more i i had I have a chance to hang out with people who are connected to these movements and then i get to experience some of them myself I realize, yeah, you got you guys are probably being quite conservative <laughs> in in your numbers and and um, what you're sharing. God is on the move, and it's my heart because you know I grew up here in the U.S. I, I love the world. I've lived in different places in the world. This picture behind me is the Tibetan Plateau, which is near and dear dear to my heart. Um, but uh, I so want to see movements happen here and I, i'm really believing uh, i'm seeing god um, as we find out more and more of what he's doing around the world and more of us find out that and how he's doing it and how how simple it is um, that that being a disciple making disciple should just be normal christianity it's not for the spiritual superheroes or the paid religious professionals it's for all of us God wants to make us fishers of men. And so, um, uh, so yeah, I love, um, I love just hearing you share and I appreciate the time you spent with us. Thank you. I've enjoyed being here too. appreciate you guys listening in today and I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't already, please mark your calendars for November 4th and 5th of 2021. We're going to be hosting another National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee. You can go on over to discipleship.org and purchase those tickets today. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and have a great day. See you next time.